If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you were privileged to bring yours with you, would you please take them and open them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be focusing primarily today on verses 20 and 21. And uh, before we get into that, though, I want to go back to one verse of Scripture, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 20 and 21, as you know, we're in a series of messages entitled Passing the Torch, and we're looking at some encouraging words that the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, to encourage him to be faithful to the teaching and proclaiming of God's Word, and uh, he uses seven figures of speech uh, to illustrate how important it is for us to be faithful to God and to His Word. The first one was in verse 2 where he uses the word entrust of faithful men. The word entrust there means to place it into their care. In other words, pass the torch to them. The second one was in verse 3 where he talked about being a faithful soldier, be a good soldier. And then in verse 5, the third metaphor or figure of speech, to compete as an athlete. And then in verse 6, to be a good working, a hard working farmer. And then in verse 15, he talked about being a good worker, a loyal worker. And then today we're looking at verses 20 and 21. Now in a large house, these are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and, and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will, will be a vessel for honor sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, before we get into this, I want to go back to verse 15. Last week when we looked at verse 15, we learned how Paul was encouraging Timothy to be a good workman who does not need to be ashamed. And then notice in the latter part of verse 15, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, the word of truth that he's referring to, of course, is the Bible. Uh, you have your copy in your hand. I have my copy in my hand. This is God's word. And uh, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to accurately handle God's word. Well, what do you think is meant in the handling of God's word? Well, I think it involves uh, uh, two or three things. I think it certainly involves uh, a right and proper and correct interpretation of what the scripture is saying. Uh, I believe that it involves uh, a loyalty to the truth, and we believe that, that God's Word is truth. It not only contains truth, but it is truth. Every, every word of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is the truth of God. Uh, so we hold in our hands the truth of God, and we are to accurately translate it and interpret it. To do so means that you have to take it apart sometimes, word for word. And not try to read into it what you think it says, but let the passage say what it says. You cut a straight line. You're accurate and true to the meaning of the word here. And so it's just like a carpenter who, who cuts a straight line so that the boards that he's trying to fit together will fit properly. Or a farmer plowing a field and he, he plows a straight furrow. He wants to make sure that it is straight and that it's not crooked or a seamstress as she uh, cuts out a pattern, or in Paul's case, a tent maker as he cuts out the pieces uh, of, of, the, of the tent so that when it comes together and is sewn together, it's, it's all fitting perfectly. 
So when you handle the word of God, when you read it, when you interpret it, when you teach it, when you proclaim it, you need to be careful that you're cutting a straight line, that it's God's truth and you are interpreting that way. It's extremely important, accurately interpreting God's word. Sometimes I'm asked, why are there so many different denominations? And uh, the, one of the reasons and explanations for it is how people interpret the word of God. Some people don't interpret it the same way uh, as we interpret it. Uh, take the area of baptism, for example. Uh, we believe that as Baptists and as Christians that baptism doesn't save you. It, it, there's no, you, can, you can be baptized a uh, 100,000 times until all the fish in the creek know your, know your social security number, I suppose. It's not going to save you. And yet there are some denominations that teach uh, that you are saved by being baptized. They use Acts 2.28, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. And the whole hinge of that denomination hangs on one little word, for. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. It's all how you interpret it. They interpret it, be baptized for salvation. We say no. The correct, accurate Translation of the verse is repent and be baptized because you have been saved. It's all how you interpret the word for. And yet a whole denomination or denominations are formed by just that one interpretation of that little word for. Take the Lord's Supper, for example. We believe, again, there's no salvation connected to observing the Lord's Supper. We do it to worship the Lord and to remember his death and resurrection. And yet there are those who say that the bread actually turns to the literal body of Christ and the wine or juice turns into the blood of Jesus. We, we don't interpret it that way. Take, for example, creation. Some people say that uh, it came through a process of, uh, of evolution. And we say, no, it's, it's what we use the term fiat. The fiat creation of God over that he spoke it and it instantaneously came into existence. It didn't take millions and billions of years for this earth to be created. God created it by speaking of the word and it was all done. So we don't believe in evolution that, uh, it, you know, if, it, if it's evolution is true, why don't we still see it taking place today? I know it's hard to look at some people and not believe in it, <laughs> but uh, we don't. Remember the little, little witty say, saying that says, first I was an amoeba beginning to begin, and then I was a tadpole with my tail tucked in, and then I was a monkey swinging from tree to tree, and now I'm a college professor with a PhD. <laughs> we don't all agree about the security of the believer. There are some people who teach that you can lose your salvation. We don't. We say once saved, always saved. Not everybody agrees with the second coming of Christ. There are all kinds of different kinds of views regarding the second coming of Christ. There are even different views about the Bible. There are some people who don't believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. They treat it just as any ordinary book. You remember back in uh, the 1500s uh, of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther Martin Luther nailed his 99 theses to the, to the church door, which was not an act of rebellion. The church door in that day served as a community bulletin board where you could place announcements. And it was Luther's intention to debate various doctrinal beliefs that the Catholic Church was holding true to. And he challenged those. He, he, he was crawling on his knees and realized that, you know, you're not saved by works. You're saved by the grace of God. 
And so he wanted to challenge and debate that. And of course, it turned into the, Re uh, to the Reformation. And, and it was all because he didn't agree with the teachings that the church in that day uh, was proclaiming. Uh, in our own day and time, over the last several decades, our own convention has been in turmoil over the controversy about the, the inspiration of the, of the scriptures because there was a, a belief that liberalism was seeping into some of our seminaries and in some of our uh, uh, colleges and universities and, and, and were properly, uh, accurately was, that was happening. I don't know that it's carrying on today. Thankfully, we, we've put the brakes on it and we've, we've steered correctly, I believe, in, in the, the, the accuracy of, of the Holy Scriptures. I, I have a couple of uh, books in my library that was published by our convention, not that they were, but by the authors who, who denied that Abraham actually literally offered Isaac as an offering up on the, up on the sacrifice. And, and said that it was all symbolic and so forth. And, and that's not true. We take God's word literally. And, and so over the last several decades, our, our convention has, has stood steadfastly to the, to the inerrancy and the teaching and, and, and literal interpretation of the Word of God. Thankfully for uh, some of the leaders of our convention who stood steadfast in that regard. Timothy uh, is being warned by the Apostle Paul to look out for those who would stray away from an accurate interpretation of God's word. If you would please uh, uh, look at chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith to come or of, come, of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. In other words, the firm foundation of God is the truth of God's word. And so there were people in Paul's day, and he names two of them who were teaching false doctrines, saying, well, those who have died already missed the second coming of Jesus. And uh, you read not only First and Second Timothy, but read First and Second Thessalonians. And especially chapter 4, one of my favorite passages of scripture that I read so often at a graveside or at a funeral uh, where it, ta it talks about that, that uh, those who die uh, in the Lord go to be with the Lord. And that if the Lord were to come and when he does come, uh, he will bring all of those who are in heaven with him. And if that happens while we are still alive, then the bodies of those who died believing in the Lord will be resurrected first. And then we'll all be caught up right behind them and we'll be forever with the Lord. And so, no, they haven't missed the second coming of Jesus. They're going to be a, 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 a part of that. And so you can see how it's easy to take a doctrinal belief of the scriptures and twist it all up to make it say what you want it to say. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, be accurate in how you handle God's word. Be true and faithful to the truth of God's word. And so this brings us now then to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and, and these two verses that we're going to be looking at where Paul talks about our need to be uh, faithful to God's word. And he, if you'll begin with me, I guess, looking at chapter 2 and verse 20. Now in a large house. So the house I believe that he is referring to here is not the literal house that we think of, but rather the house of God. 
the large house of God, the body of Christ. But he's using a house as an illustration. And he is saying in verses 20 and 21 that you know in your house there are different kinds of vessels, uh, especially cooking utensils. Uh, you, you have a certain kind of uh, vessel, cooking utensil for this task and for this kind of cooking and so forth. And, 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 then, and then you have uh, furnishings, you have uh, light fixtures and you have chairs and tables and beds. Uh, you, you have some utensils that are made of, of silver, sterling silver. I'm sure some of the, you ladies have that or china or crystal. Uh, that some, some of your finest uh, utensils that you use uh, when you have special guests or for special occasions that you bring those finer things out and, and, and you use those to serve. But then on the other hand, you have paper cups and plastic cups and, and, and fruit jars maybe that you use uh, to, to drink out of. Or, or even in the bathroom, you have certain utensils there that, that you wouldn't pull out into the public, but they're useful, they're necessary to have those, uh, those furnishings in your bathroom or in your shower, whatever it is that you have there. Uh, some of them you, you take pride in. Some of them you know they are valuable, but you don't bring them out and parade them in front of your people all the time. And that's what he's saying here in verse 20, that in a large house, such as the house of the Lord, not only are those vessels or utensils that are made of gold and silver, but you also have vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, I believe that an accurate interpretation here is that he's simply using the house and its household goods as an illustration to talk about what's going on in the church, the larger house of God. And he's saying that there, there, there are some of those leaders of the church that are honorable and truthful and accurate, but on the other hand, and, and they, are the, they are the vessels that are made of gold and silver. But on the other hand, you have those who are not so honorable. Uh, who mistreat and misteach and misinterpret the, the, the truth of God's word. And, and therefore, you don't parade them out in front of everybody. And you need to be aware of them. And so he says, be careful, be careful how you take care of these matters. Notice in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, Useful to the master. Oh, I've underlined and circled and, 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 and colored it in yellow and underlined it in orange for that, that expression. Useful to the master. Wouldn't you like to be, and certainly many of you are, the kind of Christian who is dedicated and committed to the Lord and to his truth and you walk with the Lord and you are useful to the master. So as we think about the need for us to be accurate in our handling the word of God and preaching and teaching it, believing it and sharing it with other people, we want to be useful to the master. We want to be honorable vessels that he can use. And in order to be a vessel that God could use in representing and teaching and preaching the truth, there are at least four qualifications that we must be uh, conscious of and possess. And the first one has to do with cleanliness. Cleanliness. So if you would, please look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things. Now, what do you think he means by the words, these things? 
Well, taking it in context, I think he's talking about the false or misinterpretation of the scriptures that Hymenaeus and Philetus and others were doing. And he was saying, you, you need to get away from false teaching. You need to get away from those things and those individuals who are, te- who are teaching and preaching things other than the truth of God's word. And, and you need to get away from them as though you were cleansing yourself of them, washing your hands of them and saying, I have nothing whatsoever to do with these individuals. So notice in verse 21, he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... Now, this word cleansing means to clean out thoroughly. It's not, it would be a term that you would use of washing, not washing your hands, although that's important. You, you take soap and, and you thoroughly wash your hands. But it would be a term used more, I think, of a washing machine. A washing machine, uh, you know, churns and, and, and those little, what you call it, in the side of it that just jumps up and down and twists and turns. And, it, and it's not just washing your hands that because your clothes get dirty and, and the dirt uh, gets inside the fabric. And just washing it and rinsing it off in the sink is not going to do it. You've got to scrub it, you've got to rub it, and you've got to turn it up and down and twist and turn it and give it a detergent. And you, you wash it thoroughly. And this is what he's saying about cleansing ourselves from false teaching. You've got to thoroughly deep down on the inside, give it a thorough and complete cleansing of your heart. These things refers to the vessels of dishonor that are mentioned in verse 20. These things of wood and earthenware and are of dishonorable Reputation. Now, I've given you four ways that we're to cleanse. First of all, our hearts. We must have clean hearts to worship Him. I, I can't imagine worshiping the Lord and our, our wonderful choir leading us and singing on every Sunday morning when we gather here or any time that we worship the Lord. How can I praise the Lord and worship the Lord if I still harbor sin in my heart? I, I need to make sure that my heart has been cleansed And that happens by my asking the Lord and praying to the Lord. Uh, Like the psalmist says, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I need to open my heart up to the Lord, my inner being to the Lord, and ask the Holy Spirit to search me like a giant x-ray and to see if there's any unclean thing in my life, any disease of sin in my heart, Uh, that I've not confessed and repented of, and then he convicts me of that and reveals that to me, and and I can confess it and say, Lord, I agree, I have committed this sin and named that sin and repent of it, turn from it, and ask for his forgiveness. And then I am in a fit position to worship him as God desires me. But it begins with the heart. Jesus said, out of the heart a man speaks. And out of the heart comes all of these sinful things that condemn us that are called sin. And and notice what he says in Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So only God can can create that clean heart. You've got to put it uh, uh, under his grace and in his grace and depend on his grace to cleanse and to forgive. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
not only in Psalm 51, 7, he says, cleanse me, but in verse 8, he says, wash me. And in verse 10, he says, create in me. Make me a new creation. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul says over in 2 Corinthians where he says that we are all new creatures. We've been created in Christ. We become new on the inside. And so it begins with the heart, the seat and soul of your being. And we ask the Lord to cleanse us. But not only our hearts, but also our hands. Notice the sentence says we must have clean hands to do what? To work for him. With our hearts, We worship him with our hands. What do you do with your hands? You work with your hands. No matter what your your vocation may be, your hands are important. You have to have your hands in order to do your work. And so he is saying, Lord, cleanse my hands uh, uh, that, that I can work for you. Psalm 24, 4 says, you know, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands, who with his hands do those things that are right and proper. Clean hands represents innocence. It represents integrity. It, it represents honestly, honesty, not sinless perfection, but rather basic integrity of inward motive and outward manners, that I am an honest person and I do an honest day's work and I'm a person of integrity and my reputation speaks for it. So I must have a, a clean heart. I must have clean hands. Notice thirdly, he says, you must have clean feet. Of course, clean feet means that you walk for him wherever you go. You know, your feet carry you where you go. And uh, you need to go to places that are wholesome and, and good and, and not, you know, go to places that are of bad reputation and so forth and participate in the things that those institutions or places stand for. So be careful, little feet, where they take you. And uh, be careful of the places that you go to and the people that you associate with. John 13 verses 5 and 8 record for us uh, our Lord washing the feet of the disciples. And you remember uh, when they were in that upper room and Jesus took an apron and put it on and, and he took a, a basin of water and he went to each of the disciples and began to wash their feet. And um, he came to Peter and Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have nothing of me or to do with me. And Peter said, well, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash me all over. And Jesus said, well, once you've been washed, you don't need another bath. You just need to be washed. You need to have your feet washed. Now, what did he mean by all of that? Well, I think he was talking about salvation. Here again is a a concern about proper interpretation. There are some people who take this idea that we're to, we're to, to wash one another's feet. And I have nothing against that. But the reason why we don't, is we have only two ordinances of our church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of them remind us of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance of him. When we baptize, we do it uh, again to symbolize that we are buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in a newness of life. Foot washing doesn't do that. It's an example of servanthood, but uh, not of salvation. And, and so uh, it's, he's talking about serving. And when he came to Peter, and Peter said, well, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, a person who's had a bath, in other words, had a bath all over, which is a reference we, we think is a reference to salvation. You've been saved. But remember, in those days, they didn't have sidewalks and streets like we have today. They, it was all dirt. So if you just went down the street to visit with somebody between your house and that house, you, you had sandals on maybe, or maybe you're just barefooted. By the time you got there, your feet would be dirty. Now, you didn't need to have a bath all over. 
You just needed to have your feet clean so that when you went into the house, you wouldn't track dirt in the place. And usually, most places, when you visited in somebody's home, they had a servant who would do that. They would sit you down, bring a basin of water, and they would wash your feet so that you, when you went on into the house, you wouldn't track dirt everywhere you went in. It's just an act of courtesy, and a servant would do that. And uh, I, th I think any disciple, Peter included, would have jumped at the chance while they were in the upper room to wash the feet of Jesus. I doubt very seriously if they were as eager to wash one another's feet. And yet Jesus set the example of humility and of service, saying, you don't need a whole bath all over. You've been saved, but you've done those things that's dirtied your feet. And you need to have clean feet. And so I'm washing your feet. And so we need to have clean feet. Uh, if I do not wash you, he said, you have no part with me. So uh, we need to remember 1 John 1, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, we must have clean lips. Clean lips to speak for him. A heart to worship him, hands to work for him, feet to walk for him, and lips to speak for him. Isaiah 6 where Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died and he saw the angels going back and forth crying out, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he said, I am a man of unclean lips. One of the seraphim, which is an angel, touched his mouth with a fiery coal and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven so we need to have clean lips as well. And I pray every day, especially on Sunday, and I did this morning, that before I come out to you, that God would take me, the Holy Spirit, that I confess whatever sins he may have revealed to me. I don't want anything standing in the way of my being able to stand here in this pulpit and share the truth with you. I ask the Holy Spirit to block out the devil from trying to inject anything into my mind that would be contrary to the teaching of God's word and that take control of my lips and my mouth. I don't always allow him to do that because I say things maybe that I shouldn't, but I ask him to guard my mouth and not allow the devil to put anything in my mouth that would be contrary to what the Lord wants me to say today to you because I have the awesome responsibility to take this book and teach its truth to you and I want to be faithful to God's word and to speak only the truth of God's word. So we must be clean. Now let's move to the second one quickly, and that's empty. And I'd go to Ephesians 3, 19, for in order to me or any pastor or any teacher, Sunday school teacher or whomever, has the responsibility of reading and teaching and proclaiming the word of God, that, that we be empty of self, that we need to be dead to self. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, what happens when you get crucified? You die. You die to self. You get ego off of your heart, out of your life. It's not you. It's Jesus who is important and chief and uppermost. And so you die to self and let the Lord Jesus sit on the throne of your life. And life centers around him, not around you, not around me, but Christ. And so I must die to self and selfish desires and wants so that the Holy Spirit can fill me. If I am already full of myself, then the Holy Spirit can't fill me with himself. And so I must die to self 
empty myself of self and turn myself over to the Holy Spirit and allow him to fill me. And if he does that, then I will be empowered to proclaim the truth of God's holy word. Any pastor or Sunday school teacher or anybody else that's responsible for teaching God's word will have that experience. So vessels are empty and a vessel has to be empty in order for it to be filled. You don't fill a glass full of, that's full of tea that's already full of tea with more, with more tea. It has to be empty before you can fill it with water or with tea or whatever the beverage may be. And the same thing is true about your being filled with the Holy Spirit. You just got to lay your life out open before the Holy Spirit and ask for cleansing and forgiveness and then to ask the Holy Spirit who already is on the inside of you because if you are a Christian, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit and, and he comes in and you just say, forgive me for quenching you, forgive me for grieving you because I've said and done things that have been wrong and I need to be cleansed of all that and now I just need you to take me and to fill me with your presence and with your power and take control of me and use me today. That's not just for preachers. That's just for Christians in general. Anybody can be filled with the Holy Spirit who desires to be dead to self and alive to him so that he can fill you. So there's cleansing, there's emptiness, there's separation. Look at verse 21 again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, from, of course, means that you separate yourself from that you don't go along with them, that you don't abide with such things and to tolerate such things. Separation involves two things, a negative thing and a positive thing. A negative thing is that you get away from sin. Get away from it. You say no to sin. The positive thing is you get to Jesus. No to sin and yes to Jesus. Negative and positive. Negative, get away from sin. Positive, get with Jesus and get with the Holy Spirit. Paul had already told Timothy to shun these individuals. In verses 16 and 17, verse 16, what does he say? Avoid uh, worldly and empty chattering, for it will lead to further ungodliness. I, I like what Spurgeon had to say. Well, I was reading his sermon on this passage of Scripture. He called it gangrene. If you just get yourself involved with people who don't believe in the literal interpretation of the scripture and who are liberals and, and, and who uh, uh, don't hold to the truth of God's word, he says it's, a, it's like gangrene. You'll have terrible gang. You ask a doctor, ask it. You get gangrene, boy, you better get it out. Gangrene will kill you. And the same thing is true about false doctrine and false teachers and false Sunday school teachers and preachers who don't stay true to the word of God. It's like gangrene, and if you don't get rid of it, if you don't cut it out, you'll die spiritually. So be truthful. Separate yourself from that. Notice not only cleanliness and emptiness and separation, but availability. Available, you are available. Notice in verse 21, he says, that we might be useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Available, useful to the master. You know, God never asks you about your ability or your inability, but about your availability. Are you available to the Lord? You know, when Moses was told he was been chosen to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he offered all kinds of excuses, every one of them flimsy. He said, I'm not a man of my word. That's a lie. 
You read the life of Moses in the first early chapters of the book of Exodus and said, who taught him? The Egyptian teachers did. He grew up under Egyptian tutors. He could read. He could, he could speak it. He, he knew how to stand up. He just used it as an excuse. A lot of people do that to this very day. I, I can't teach. I, I can't serve here. I can't do this. I do good enough. It's, I do well enough to attend. So you go out to the church building. What do you do all week? You don't make yourself available to the Lord. God puts somebody in your path. You have an opportunity to witness, but you just keep a closed mouth. You go to places where you shouldn't go. You say and do things you shouldn't do and say. You make yourself available to everybody else. Do you make yourself available to the Lord? God's not interested. You know, he, he, God will never ask you or call you to do something that he won't also equip you to do it. Always. He's not going to just turn you loose. You know, talk about the soldiers. Be a, be a good soldier. Well, think about taking a soldier and put him out on the middle of a battlefield without having to go into boot camp. Without giving him a helmet and a gun and a, a, a bulletproof vest and, and training. You don't just send somebody out there like that. You train them. You equip them. God will do the same thing for you. He doesn't expect you to do something on your own. He will empower you. He will enable you. Why do you think Jesus said to the disciples, don't you go out into the world right now. You go up and wait for the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the latter days, he'll pour his spirit out upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. And so we need to make ourselves available to the Lord and notice to whom it is useful to the master. To the master. The Greek word for master here is the same word from which we get our word despot, lord, master, somebody who is in charge, someone to whom you owe allegiance, someone to whom you must surrender yourself so that he can use you. And you, you are not your own. You remember what the apostle Paul says, know you not that you're not your own, that you are bought with a price? that you are therefore to glorify the Lord in your body as well as in your spirit because you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. If you've been saved, you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. He owns you. He bought you with his shed blood. He redeemed you from your sins so that he could set you aside and use you to his honor and to his glory. And he is Lord and King of kings of your life. And let him sit in the driver's seat of your life. To be available means that you're ready, present and accounted for, and that you are ready for immediate service. Notice also he says in verse 21 that we would be useful to the master prepared for every good work. Prepared means I'm ready to go. I'm equipped. I'm eager to go. I'm willing to go. I have been possessed by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit, and I'm ready to march for the Lord to do whatever He demands and requires. I close with a quote from William Barclay in his passage of Scripture 
uh, his, uh, his commentary on this passage of scripture, he says, it is the duty of a Christian to keep himself free from all polluting influences. And if he does, his reward is that he will be used in service. He goes on to say his reward, listen, his reward is not a special honor or special privilege or special exaltation. His reward is special service. Service. So I'm not in it to be honored, not in it to get rewards. I'm in it to serve the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. Every Christian is. May we bow together. Father, we, we certainly rejoice in our salvation. All that we are, every, all that we ever hope to be or to become, we owe to you. We live, we move, we have our very being in you. If you were to take your hand off of us, we would disintegrate immediately. Thank you for being to us not only our God, but our personal God. That we can call you just as Abraham did, our friend, as well as our God and our Savior. Thank you for calling us out of a world of spiritual darkness to the truth of the light. Thank you for entrusting us with the truth of your holy word. May we always accurately handle the word of God, the most outside of Jesus, the most important gift that you've given to us. May we be faithful to that. May we not do it so that we can be patted on the back and commended with with flattering words but that we might someday stand in your presence and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Holy Spirit, now we pray for your blessings and your control and guidance as we enter into this time of invitation. I don't know what is in the hearts of all of your people here today, but you do. You know who needs to move out and step forward and come and make public either their profession of faith in Christ or just to come and pray or whatever it may be. The invitation is yours. We give it to you, dedicate it to you. Pray, Holy Spirit, for your blessings upon it. Speak to our hearts and may none of us leave this place today without having done your good and perfect and acceptable will is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And as Andre leads us, there's a decision that you need to make. Please come.